Hello, and welcome to this episode of a Clean Bill of Wealth podcast. I'm your host, Galen Nuttall, and I have a quick question before we hop on over to the episode. Did you know that many physicians are overpaying taxes due to not leveraging their corporation effectively? I've seen cases where a physician is on track to lose out on millions of dollars in retirement because they're not using their corporation effectively. And if you are unsure, if you are making the most of the unique entity that is the professional corporation, creating a plan with me and my team of corporate planning experts might be a good move. If you're interested in a plan that shows you how to make the most of your corporation, save on taxes, secure your legacy, and create a thriving retirement, we can create a personalized, powerful plan for you for a flat fee with no hidden commissions, and there is no obligation for you to buy any products from us. If you want to know more, head on over to galenhelpsdocs.com. That's G-A-L-E-N helpsdocs.com. Read up on what it covers and click on the book a call button to book a free call to explore whether a custom flat fee plan is a good fit for you. And now on with the show. All right. So welcome everyone to this episode of Clean Bill of Wealth podcast. I am joined with Dr. Mark Soth. First off, before I go to your bio, first off, thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. No, no, absolutely. I can't. This is going to be an awesome conversation. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, so if anyone doesn't know, Dr. Marsoth is a mid-career academic ICU doctor. And in addition to full-time clinical medicine, he is well-recognized as an educator and physician leader through his loony doctor blog and frequently speaking to groups of resident and practicing physicians. He has been helping Canadian physicians and other high-income professionals to not get hosed, nor be hosers, a eh, with their time and money since 2017. Awesome. So yeah. And, and uh, so, I mean, a lot to talk about, obviously, but um, first off, we met recently actually in person. Um, I have not met many of my podcast guests in person, but we were at the- Yeah, it was great to actually see humans. (laughs) Yeah, I actually saw real humans in the real life spot. And uh, so it was part of the Physician Empowerment Conference. um, And, uh, you know, I was there as you were fielding some questions from like the table uh, as different people were talking about different concepts. So definitely wanted to have an opportunity to sit down and talk afterwards. Um, So I think one thing is um, maybe to give people a background of like, you know, what you know, you have a, a blog around uh, around finance. Um, you've got a website which has tons of resources on it around finance. Like, what got you started down this road of really diving into the idea of uh, finances and high income professionals and physicians? Well, I think the the good thing to know is that I, it's not something I've done for years and years and years. It's something I kind of picked up, you know, after I'd been in practice for about ten years and realized this is actually important and I should help other people with it. I mean, prior to that, I had a passing interest in that my, you know, my parents taught me how to budget and I went away to school with a budget and had to make my way through, you know, undergrad and medical school, trying to live in as little money as possible. And I was taught, you know, from the beginning, I had the, I got the wealthy barber from my dad when I was a teenager, mm-hmm. and that I as soon as I start earning income, I have to start putting money automatically into my RRSP and start saving for my retirement. So I did all of those things, and you know, I had my I had a financial advisor, uh, you know, who I would meet with once in a while, and we'd just they'd say a bunch of stuff about what they're putting me in and and how it was going to work, and that was pretty much what I did, and didn't pay a lot more attention to it than that. And my first few years of practice, really, I spent all my time practicing medicine. We had small children at home. I spent a lot of time uh, trying to build up the services in our hospital. Uh, I do I do intensive care. And at the time, we had multiple small 
we had the ICU itself and then a bunch of other services that were functioning in isolation. So I worked on trying to bring those together into a coordinated system. So all of that is what occupied my time. And I figured that, you know, if I worked hard, you know, I'm in a well-paying uh, field with medicine. If I work hard, then the money parts just kind of will take care of themselves. And I didn't pay a lot of attention to it. But uh, and I, you know, as I started to have some money, I started to dabble with some investing because I figured that's what you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was honestly not very organized. I made all the mistakes you think you could make. I've, I've made them. I mean, the only blessing is that it was not with a lot of money. It was a small <laughs> amount of money, although it felt like a lot at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that's where I where I was coming from. But uh, and I think a lot of physicians are in the same boat where they figure if they work hard, practice medicine, which is what they love, that the money will take care of itself. But I mean, something started to change for me around somewhere. I, I can't peg it exactly. Somewhere around 2015, you know, over a short period of time, our tax our tax bracket rose from about 48 percent to 54 percent over a few years. And, you know, that that was also accompanied with the government saying how we were overpaid and we need to pay Mm -hmm. our fair share and we weren't doing enough. And then they started giving fee clawbacks in the three to 5% a year range. So, you know, the top bracket was then really, you know, closer to 60%. And I work in an academic center where we have to pay a tax to the university on top of our overhead to cover university expenses. So all this was going on where I was you know, starting to more and more of the income I was earning was going to pay for for other other things uh, with mm. taxes and tithes and clawbacks. And at the same time, I was being told I wasn't doing enough. So that really, mm. you know, I felt honestly kind of betrayed. And I was really mm. upset because here I felt, you know, we're working so hard and not only me, but my my family sacrificed a lot for for the work that we're doing. I mean, there's a, you can't have one person working huge hours and off hours uh, without that impacting your entire family. So here we're doing this. And at the same time, you know, the financial piece was becoming, it was brought to the forefront by all of that. So that's when I decided to, you know, what am I doing? This is crazy. So I just started to pay attention to, you know, well, how much do, how much should I work? And, you know, if I'm working more, but not earning as much with that extra work, why am I doing that? Well, how much do I need to work and how can I uh, spend less time doing that and do, do enough that, you know, that I feel that I'm contributing and, and it's valuable, but not sacrifice everything for it and balance that with the rest of our lives. So that's when I started to pay attention uh, to personal finance. And the more I learned about it, the, more I realized how important it was because it's one of those things that if we as physicians take control of it, then we can use that as a tool to guide our career in good directions and our family lives in good directions. Whereas if we don't, it's very easy to be kind of blown whichever way the wind blows and and you don't realize that you've got a problem until you're trapped in something mm-hmm. and you're trapped and you can't get out. And those are the kind of things that really lead people to be burnt out is when you get into those bad positions and you have no way of correcting course that you can see. Uh, whereas if you have a good understanding of where you, where you sit and you're actually in a good position, you actually have a lot of power to change how that works. So that's really where when I started to pay attention to it. And as I was learning all of these things, I, I figured, well, if I'm learning it, I might as well start writing about it and, and teaching other physicians about it because it is a major uh, gap uh, oh, yeah. in what we do. And it's something that we can all, benefit from so that's mm-hmm. that's how i got involved with with uh doing this yeah and i mean definitely you've given a lot of information there in the background i mean what i'm hearing is around like kind of feeling squeezed from different directions of like working harder but not seeing the reward on the financial side and different things from the government impacting the way you got paid 
and then going from a bit of an automated, you know, yeah, I'm going to do what I'm going to do, make the money doing what I love and it's all going to turn out okay to then being a bit more active uh, in that, in that process. And so, and you mentioned taking control or uh, like being more active. Like, so what, what do you think that looks like for the, and I mean, I completely agree with what you're saying. Like a lot of physicians I meet, they aren't, they, they want, they, they're in that phase of, you know, I'm going to keep working. I'm going to keep making good money. But like you said, if they're not on top of it, they're just going to go whichever way the wind blows. So like, what does it look like? Do you think from going from not really being aware of what's going on to having some awareness or some insight into what's going on financially for like the average, you know, incorporated physician? Like, what do you think that looks like that switch over? Well, I think, I think it comes down to, you know, your, your attitude toward times and money, time and money changes a bit when you understand that, you know, when you're exchanging your time, you're exchanging your time, your life force and effort for money. And well, what is that doing in return? And there's, you know, one of the biggest things that I, I start teaching about at the beginning is, is you know, we're changing, changing our human capital, which is our ability to work and put an effort to make financial capital. But it also, we have to use that financial capital to, to then recharge what we're doing. And so kind of having, when you understand how that works, you can start to make more educated, deliberate decisions. You know, am I going to uh, take a $10,000 vacation uh, for one week when I know that means I'm going to have to work, you know, three weeks to, or four weeks or five weeks or more to pay for that vacation? Is that, you know, and everything we have to pay for is an after-tax dollar. So it's even more than that. So when you mm-hmm. understand that, that, that exchange, you start to make more deliberate decisions around it. And, that's that's the one piece is you start to make spending decisions based on what you think is it what's important to you and and uh rather than you know wanting just stuff that's around you because of we're we're constantly bombarded with stuff around us mm-hmm. and that's one of the challenges we have as physicians is we're surrounded by other high income professionals as well a lot of our lives so we we get a bit of a, a skewed view of what that may be like. So yeah. I think that that's the one thing that changes is spending not just the your money but also spending your time. Am I going to spend more time on this area of work? Or am I going to spend more time in this area of my life, or am I going to spend more time in this part of my work that I enjoy mm-hmm. but doesn't pay as much, but it gives me a lot more enjoyment and I can I could do this longer than if I grind away at something that that pays more. So you start to make more educated trade offs rather than just following uh, whatever's happening. Yeah, I mean, I really like that idea. That definitely that concept of human capital um, and financial capital is a, is I, I saw that one fairly early on in my career as a financial advisor. I don't think I got it the first time I saw it, but the second time I got it, it was very impactful. Of you know the the finite number of years that someone will be able to work, whether they think they're going to work forever or not, it's finite, and yeah. it's like and at some point in time that is going to drop. Uh, either from the way of not being able to keep up with the same level of work uh, or um, simply like, you know, having less years ahead of you. Or even the work, even in medicine, the work can change too, right? So, you know, the way that you practice now, there may be some radical change to how you practice that's brought on to you externally. And then, you know, how do you adapt to that? And we may think we're going to work to a certain period of time, but, you know, half of people retire before, 
they planned to, and it's not because mm-hmm. they wanted to, it's because something happened, a health issue with themselves or a family manager or something changes with their job. And if you're left scrambling at that point, then then you're, you actually are more trapped. You don't have the same freedom. And, and you ask, what does it look like for someone who has financial control as a physician? The other thing I noticed with physicians that have more, more uh, financial control is they actually start to do more other things with their practice. So they may not mm. just do the regular nine to five grind through the usual stuff all the time, but there may be an area that they're interested in. They, they can take the risk of trying to, of giving up some of their other paying work to concentrate on developing a new area, which usually is an upfront cost of time and money mm-hmm. uh, to take on something new, but they're able to do that because they're in a good financial position. And that could be something clinical that they do differently, or they could take on a leadership position uh, where they can actually change how practice works and make the quality of their work life and the quality of what they're doing for their patients better. Uh, But a lot of that stuff that you do in those positions is not well paid. So you're able to do that if you're otherwise in a good financial position. So you have a lot more freedom to do those things when you're, when your financial health is in shape. Yeah. Like a bit more, sounds like like more peace of mind and freedom around making some decisions and not feeling quite as trapped around. I have to do it this way because this is the only way I know, or this is the only way I know to make money. So sort of, and it sounds like, like exercising some creativity around the way the practice is run when they don't have that crunch necessarily. Yeah. Very cool. And then one of the things um, that you wrote to me in an email that I found pretty interesting was you talked about uh, delegation versus abdication of um, uh, like financial, uh, like knowing what's going on with your finances. We talked a bit about advisors and this came up also as um, there was a session at the conference where um, the speaker was going into, you know, sort of how to create a portfolio and someone raised their hand and said, are we talking registered or non-registered? And I thought that was like a really good question because it's like, there's so many nuances to what people can be doing like with their corporation, inside of the corporation, outside of their corporation. So we got to talking a little bit about where advisors fit in. So where do you think um, the, an advisor fits in properly into the life of a, of a physician when it comes to figuring out their finances? Yeah, well, I think, I think the reality is most physicians have a financial advisor uh, more so than they don't. And I do a lot of, you know, I advocate for a lot of do-it-yourself investing and taking on parts of it yourself as well. But, you know, even I have an, I have an advisor as well. And I think, yeah, there are uh, ways that an advisor can help you. But the only way you're really going to get good value for the money is if you understand enough to be able to work with the advisor and delegate tasks to them and use them to their fullest. And then also to understand, you know, what, how much you're paying for that to make sure that it's value for what you're doing. And there's a number of ways that an advisor can help you. I think one of the biggest uh, ways that they can help you is as an external person looking uh, on your, on your finances, right? So even if you know a lot, having someone else look at it and with my own financial advisor, one of the uh, ways that they helped me is that you know they helped me to realize I could actually probably either work less or spend a bit more because I was well on track to where my plans were. Whereas normally I would just probably not do that, just being the way that I am. So it actually kind of was a bit uh, useful to have that external perspective, and you know that's one of the use of advice to help you to set goals and to work towards those goals. And when they you know when they try to you know quantify 
it benefits advisors, people that have goals and plans do tend to save and invest more than people that have no goal or plan because they're not really working towards something. So if you if an advisor is helpful for you to do that, that's one of the ways uh, that an advisor is uh, is is helpful to you. And the, another way they can help you is, you know, people think about financial planning. They think about different pieces of it. Most people think about the investing piece, but the investing piece is really one only one small aspect of it. So the having someone who's able to, to help you with all the different pieces of like insurance, wills, estate planning, tax goals, tax planning, investment goals, and and put that together it can be helpful. I mean, you can learn about those things yourselves, but you have to make sure that you're uh, being organized in, in how you do that. And this is with the investing piece too. I mean, that can be you can learn how to do that yourself in a very simple way. And there's a lot of evidence to suggest that doing actually a very, with investing simpler is often better. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can often do some of that investing piece uh, yourself in a simple to follow way. Uh, but even with that, an advisor may be helpful in the sense that there's someone between you and the sell button because mm-hmm. we can have a plan and, and and it all objectively makes sense. However, we're all emotional beings. And yeah. you know, if we, are affected by our emotions and make behaviorally based uh, mistakes. The most common one being, you know, markets go down, you think the world's going to end and everything in the media is telling you that and you want to sell everything to be, to feel safer, which is what the emotions tell you to do, which is the mm-hmm. wrong thing to do. So having someone else besides you there is, is useful uh, for that. Yeah. But it, I think the important things to know, though, is that the advice that that sort of advisor role and the investing role they don't always have to be the same person. You can get that advice and implement the plan yourself. You just have to be able to implement it, and so that's you know the one of the ways that fees can be different is have an advisor and investing part separate from one one another. And even if you decide to use someone to do all of it uh, as the advisor, you know they can only work with what you give them. So if you don't, and they only meet with you for a short period of time and no one's going to know the nuances of your financial goals and your financial life as well as you are. That's why having an understanding of what, you know, how how your basic finances work, what your goals are and how the product, you know, people are going to try to sell your products. You know, some of them may be beneficial. Some of them may not. There's alternatives. If you come to the table, knowing some of that, you can have a much more, uh, educated and productive type of discussion than if you just abdict all of that uh, to give it to someone they can figure it out. Well, they, they may they may be thinking one thing, you may be thinking something else, but you you've gone and just given that all to them without any uh, real interaction over it. Whereas if you're knowledgeable and are able to delegate that to them, but still know enough about it to be in control, that's a different situation. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, what I'm hearing a lot of is like around the value of the advice that's being given. And I think that that's one of the things that definitely that was one of the discussions uh, as people were asking about the investing side is, you know, how does the advisor get paid? You know, one of the questions was, do they still get paid when the markets are down? Like, how does it work? You know, and obviously there's different ways of advisors being paid, but certainly what you said around, you know, having a layer of protection between you and the sell button, um, that's obviously one element that is helpful of having someone there who's like, yeah, we've been through this many, many times before. Every market crash looks different from the sense of there's different causes and different reasons, but 
uh, every one of them has recovered. And there's no reason to believe that there's going to one day be one that doesn't recover because they keep recovering. Um, and I think that that's one of the things is I think that for a long time, either advisors thought they could predict and that was their value proposition was like to predict or to beat the market or something like that. And there's no evidence to suggest that. Um, but exactly what you said around goals and goal setting and having those goals can help people um be further ahead than if they weren't yeah. well it's important but it is important for us to be aware of that evidence because there will still be you know a lot of advisors that will try to sell you complex products that are supposed to beat the market in some way and you know they i'm sure they believe themselves their studies have suggested they believe themselves that they actually will work although the objective data shows that that you know is almost it's exceedingly difficult uh to do and and, and mm-hmm. performance tends to trail in even worse than random chance. So, mm-hmm. but that's still out there, and it's still very very prominent. Because that's you know, there's the financial industry is going to drive things one way, sure. uh, which may not be the same way that we would want it. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, and I guess uh, the funny thing is, like, I mean, the advisors I spend time with and myself, and like, we don't we know that our value proposition is not any sort of timing or beating the market. We do believe and ha- there is evidence to show that the things that we do will allow people to have more money in the future than if they hadn't worked with us. But it's mm-hmm. more from a tax planning. Uh, well, goal setting is one of the biggest ones. Uh, then it's uh, tax planning is a big part of it. You know, how to how to invest inside of the corporation versus outside of the corporation. And then all the things around, just as you mentioned, like estate planning and, um, you know, making sure people have a will, making sure the corporation has a will. I mean, all different things. And yeah. it's basically based on having created hundreds of financial plans for uh, yeah, well, the, yeah, I think the key that you're pointing out there is that there, there's things you can control, like mm-hmm. you can control fees, taxes, and, and you know whether you're covered with appropriate insurance and estate planning. You can't control what the market's going to return and when. And if you spend a lot of money trying to do better than that, you're you're Mm-hmm. not gonna you're not going to most likely so yeah absolutely that's exactly it like control what we can control and manage what we can't control we can't control the markets but we can we can manage our behavior around them but it's it's counterintuitive for a lot of people i mean and this is part of i think what doctors struggle with is that mm. you know we're used to it if, if we're smarter and we work harder then we do better right and we figure the same applies to finance where if we're smarter and harder working then we're going to do better at investing but it's it's actually not the case and it's hard it's hard for us intuitively to accept them that's part of how do- doctors and other i think most people get get trapped into that and the other thing that i think you know doctors love a narrative we love to have the story about how the different things in someone's life came together and and created the problem that they've got and you know what are the mm-hmm. different things we can do to try to help them and it's the same thing with investing you can have lots of narratives to support any investment thesis you make up and it's easy for us to love those narratives right and we love to understand things so we feel like we're understanding something by understanding the story behind it I mean, not realizing that anything that we see has already been seen by everybody else in the world and, and baked into the price of, of whatever it is we're looking to buy. So it's, it's accounted for and they're in an efficient market already. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's hard for us to accept that because we're used to you know, being able to be smart and hardworking and, and do better. So it's counterintuitive that that doesn't work. 
Yeah. And I, I love that you've put it that way because I've, I've recognized it, but I haven't necessarily been able to vocalize it the way that you just did, where I'll meet a doctor who'll say things like, well, I really want someone that's going to come to the table with innovative things and they're going to be on top of the markets and they're going to work hard to do better. And I think it might have been you who someone kind of hinted at that in a question and answer period at the conference. And someone, I think it was you might have said, like, you don't necessarily want someone who's going to try harder when it comes to investing, because there's no statistical evidence that trying harder actually gets you anywhere. And um, I actually met with someone recently who they did believe that their advisor had like their, their, so this is last year, their investments weren't doing that great. Even though overall last year was a good year in the markets, their investments were not doing well. And then I looked at their portfolio and I said, well, a big reason is because you have a third of your portfolio in one thing. So that one thing didn't do well. So your portfolio didn't do well. And it's, they have an, another advisor who's managing things. And they said, well, um, yeah, I'm not happy with this. I'm going to see what I'm going to do about it. And I kind of left it because I don't want to push people. Like if they want to work with me, they want to work with me. So a couple months later, I just called back. I said, how did things go? And I said, oh, no, I called them up. And I said, they needed to work harder. And they turned things around. And now things are doing really well. And I was like, that's a perception. I didn't say this to them because I thought, well, you know, I've already talked about how that's not necessarily possible to suddenly have someone working harder and then see results. Obviously, they switched things around and they happened to put something, their money into something that went up. And I don't know how they're doing now because I haven't talked to them since January. Um, But it's, it is. And I think, I think there's an element of like wanting to believe, right? Like that I can work harder or I can find someone who's going to pay more attention and they're going to have more results in the market. Well, it's confirmation bias. I mean, we have, yes. we will look for evidence that backs up our, what we believe. Yeah. And it's very easy to find it. Yeah, absolutely. It makes That's us feel really, good. Yeah. It makes you feel good, right? Like, oh, I called them, I told them to work harder and then my mar- things went up 10% the following month. So obviously they did what they, I told them to do. And now I'm really happy with them. And um, yeah. And I think that one of the things that really helped me because when I before I became an advisor, you know, I grew up in the roaring '80s where there were lots of movies around stock markets, and like there was one I really loved about it was Kevin. Ba- it was called Quicksilver with Kevin Bacon, and he was a bike. He was a stock market guru turned bike messenger, and uh, of course, that's that's what they all do, right? I was and uh, I saw this movie, and he'd basically stare at the numbers, and he'd be able to pick the stocks that were going to go up in that minute. And he just made all this money. And I was like, Oh, I want to grow up to do that. Like that looks, I, you know, I'm a smart kid. I like math. I can figure this out. And then as I got, you know, grew up, um, I thought it was still possible. And then I became an advisor and it's like, yeah, no, that's, there's no statistical evidence that anyone can do that consistently. But then I was like, kind of at a loss, like, what do we do? And, um, the thing that also helped me really like stop believing in the, you know, I'm going to figure out how things are going to go was from learning about quantitative analysis, like these very strong algorithms that are timing Mm -hmm. the market in microseconds. And Mm -hmm. it's like, is my brain ever going to be able to beat a a, a quantitative analysis machine? That's this huge. That's right. I mean, there are, there are, there are those that can beat the market. They do exist. It's just that it's not going to be us. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, no, yeah, we don't have a, we don't have a, you know, and there's like, you know, Renaissance technologies and the, and what they do is they have, they have something that does consistently beat the market, but no one can access it. It's all closed because once you get into larger and larger amounts of money, it becomes impossible to take advantage of the inefficiencies anymore. So, right. so that there are ways that there are certain things that can beat the market. It's just not, they're not accessible to us. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So I mean, I get, the moral of the story, I guess, is like we said, like focus on the things you can control and the things that have statistically shown people to be more, um, more likely to reach their goals than not. And even what you said around knowing that you are on track for your goals, like that's one of the biggest things. Yeah. Well, I, I, well, I think that's, a, that, that, that's another way that I think that we can get off track as physicians. We tend to be competitive people. So, mm. you know, we're going to constantly compare ourselves to everyone else around us. And that financially is no different. And that's, you know, when I said that, you know, we spend a lot of time rubbing shoulders with other high-income professionals and you know other allied health professionals we all make decent income so we see that and there will always be someone who makes more money than you and you know you know you'll always see that someone's got the nice chariot in the uh in the parking garage but what you don't see is you don't see the debt they may have you don't see the lack of savings they may have you don't see the stress or that they may be feeling trapped uh, because they don't have a lot of financial, we don't see those things. We see the the stuff, and it's easy for us to want to try to compete uh, for that stuff as well. Whereas personal finance really needs to be a one-player game where you have your goals, what's important to you, and that's what drives your decision making. Not trying to compare what you think you should have because someone else has. You know that may or may not be important to you yeah, when you actually really- when you actually think about it. That's a really good point. Yeah. I mean, I've met physicians who were burning themselves out trying to keep up with uh, the Joneses, so to speak. And um, I met one who, I met a physician who basically was telling, like they were, they were burning themselves out. I mean, just working insane hours. And I asked them why they were doing that. And they said, well, because one of my colleagues says that he puts away X every year into savings. And I said, well, like, what's your goal? Like, what's his goal? Like, what, there's a reason he's putting that amount of money away, but is that even your goal? And so it was kind of interesting, like, just as you're saying, like, really, they had fixated so much on trying to do what this other person was doing, because it's like, it's kind of a, um, kind of an sort of an easy thing to try, like to, to see, oh, someone's doing X, I should do X also, even if it's unattainable, or if like, you know, I mean, not even to mention like different specialties make different amounts of money. So I mean, well, yeah, and, well, away, and even just yeah. even just in your decision making, like I can give you an example from from my personal life is, you know, when I started out, uh, I went on a number of really expensive vacations, you know, we'd go to a resort. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it cost us like, 10 grand for a week to go to this resort and it, and we'd sit around the pool or go to the beach and there would be people waiting on you or whatever. Cause that's what everybody else did. Mm-hmm. And I could tell you by day two or three of that, doesn't matter how nice the place was. We all just wanted to go home cause we missed our dogs and yeah. we like to just wake up, have breakfast, not talk to anybody. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to go, we didn't want to sit around a resort, we wanted to go do stuff, which if you go to any of those resorts costs an arm and leg. So we ended up actually stopped doing that. We bought an RV and uh, traveled, you know, eight to nine weeks out of the year in the RV with our dogs and our kids because we could. And it was a fraction, you know, it cost us less than going to those resorts. And we had a lot more fun doing it. But, you know, it was something completely different than what those around us were doing. No, and, you know, it was in it, and it took it took a little bit of while. It, you know, when we first started it, my wife was like, "I don't want to do it because I don't want to go stay in trailer parks because this is the the perception that we had. We're going to go and stay in, you know, mm. like from the trailer park boys, and all of our friends are going to make <laughs> fun of us." But what ended up happening is we, is uh, we loved it, and we got a bigger RV because my wife loved it and wanted a bigger RV, and then we started RVing with some of our friends, and and it just it changed a completely different direction of way we did things, and it was because we just broke from what was sort of expected around us and went with what was actually important to us. Yeah. That's a really great tangible example of that. Like kind of doing what you think you're supposed to do 
Like, you know, oh, this is the thing people do is they go to a resort where they don't have to lift a finger. And then it's like, yeah, after three days, you want to go home. It's not really worth it. <laughs> no. And discovering what really works for you. So, yeah, that's that's a really great tangible example of that. Yeah. And so one question I wanted to ask is around, um, I mean, so I know, so I really, I think it's great that you, you're like, okay, I'm going to learn about finance. And as long as I'm learning, I might as well share this with others. What do you think are like some of the bigger learnings or bigger things that you see doctors can take on that'll make a difference uh, that you don't see them already doing? Or what are the biggest questions you get that you think are ones that um, all physicians would benefit from knowing? Um, well, I think we've touched on a number of them, but I, I think the first thing you need to know is I think people actually need to stop and look and see what, how much are they making, how much are they spending, and what are they saving each other. <laughs> when I meet with people, a lot of people actually don't know that, right? Mm-hmm. Or they have some idea, but when they actually look and, and actually see, they realize it's actually completely different than what they thought it was. So actually knowing where that is and then seeing whether that's going to get you where you want to be uh, towards the age you're planning to retire. And the, the other thing that can happen is we've tried to delay everything to that retirement. But if we aim to try to have financial independence earlier in our careers than that, then it actually allows us to not just do it all and nothing. Because one of the mistakes I see, I see some people do is they spend all of their time, all of their energy, everything in medicine. And then they say they do this and they going to retire someday and they love medicine and then they retire and they don't some of them a lot of them actually end up coming back to work or they don't mm. enjoy their retirement as much because they haven't spent time over those years leading up to retirement building other interests building the relationships with other people outside of medicine so when they leave the hospital or their practice they ha- don't have those other outside of medicine uh, interests and supports that are there and those are the kind of things that build up are built up over years it's not something that you flip a switch and it suddenly changes so by planning your financial health over time and so that you gradually gain some financial independence in advance and take on some of those other outside interests and relationships and kind of stop, reflect, and course correct along the way to be balanced and you know gradually change how you practice and how you live your life over time uh, can can lead to a more successful outcome at the end. So that's one of the areas where I think we kind of uh, fall off track and it's easy to do because medicine you know the de- demand is infinite and it's really mm-hmm. rewarding i mean it's it's exciting it's interesting you get socially and financially rewarded for doing it you know it's a, it's easy for it to let it consume uh consume your whole life if you're if you're not careful so you have to kind of balance it against everything else mm-hmm. and and not delay that balance for later on in your life start to do it throughout your life yeah. I mean, it sounds like someone going to a doctor going into retirement and then like they have no identity outside of medicine or no interest outside or minimal, I should say, interest or identity outside of medicine. Then it's like, now what do I do with myself? Like uh, all the source of, uh, you know, creativity, social interaction, everything, you know, is was tied up in my in my career. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think in terms of of the financial piece specifically, I think with the physicians need to understand, you know, what they're actually invested in, you know, with the different account types that mm-hmm. they're using and whether, whether that's actually to their advantage or not. And, and what's in them is it, is it, what are the fees of the items that are, so they need to understand, you know, what their visor gets paid, what fees are embedded in the products mm-hmm. that they use and, you know, understand that that's going to have an impact on performance. 
a lot of people don't don't really even know that. So that'd be those that'd be another very uh, low hanging fruit of of something to have some basic understanding about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That was definitely one of the questions that came up at the conference is like, well, how does my advisor get paid? And, you know, really, there's a myriad, not a myriad, but there's multiple different ways that advisors do get paid. And, you know, myself, I understand them fairly well, because I'm on the inside, and I understand the different mm-hmm. models. But I got I totally got that in the conference of like, oh, right, like, I understand this, because I'm on the inside seeing all the different models from if you're working with someone who works at a bank versus an independent advisor versus someone who has access to ETFs versus someone who doesn't versus a portfolio manager. Like there's a lot of different ways. Yeah. Yes. And a lot of people are completely unaware of what that might look like. No, and we're, and we're used to working in a consultancy model with medicine where we consult somebody and they're going to do their best for us no matter what. And that's the, the main driving outcome is to do the best thing for the patient possible. And there's really mm-hmm. not a lot of other competing interests there. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, 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 for sure. Because certainly that's a whole other thing is like, how do people get comp? How is an advisor getting compensated by offering A versus B? Or just as you were talking, even on the insurance side, like we won't go into that, but definitely that's a big hot button topic of how advisors get paid for different insurance products that may or may not be a good fit for, uh, for people and some things that are pushed more heavily than others. And even which licenses does your advisor hold? Like I find that it's very different to work. I've found the philosophy of someone who only has an investment license can be very different than someone who understand either understands both the investment insurance side or is actually licensed to work on both sides because mm-hmm. I, or, and then on top of the, even if someone is interested in investing, do they have any mind for the tax side of things? Because I will oftentimes find people who are purely stockbrokers working with a registered account. Yeah. Well, I think all that, sorts of tax. Yeah. Concert, well, that's yeah. the, that. That's where one of the that's one of the areas where you know when you're talking about delegating out your financial responsibility, it's really hard to find financial advisor that does the tax planning well and an account that does knows how, enough about the investing to put those two pieces together. Like the accountant's going to take whatever you hand them and do the best they can with it, yeah. but they may not you know know how to or or suggest how that you know your overall asset allocation can be efficiently used within your corp or your RSP or TFSA, that that's more the investment advisor piece. The investment advisor piece may look at, you know, the you know, your asset allocation and and optimizing it that way, but not deal with the tax consequences of that or mm-hmm. how to how to access how that's going to impact you down the road when you go to access the money, mm-hmm. uh, which may has have just as much impact as it did while you were building up the money. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's a huge one I see consistently when a lot of times I'll meet someone who has quite a bit of money saved up inside of their corporation and it's not being invested in a tax efficient way. And all yeah. the, all that person is oftentimes looking at is the rate of return. And I'm like, well, how much of that rate of return are you going to get to keep after you've paid all the taxes on it? Because that's it's right. two different exactly. things. And yes. a lot of times people do think it's the accountant that knows these things. Whereas, you know, typically the accountant, as you said, they're going to work with what they give you. They're, I've met, I can't think of very many accountants at all that I've met that will proactively say, hey, by the way, have you talked to your advisor about tax efficient investing in a non-registered account? It's, it, <laughs> nope. <laughs> it does not happen. No. And so... I, so I have, I have clients who are accountants. I have clients who are lawyers. Like, so sometimes that helps people understand, like I have 
incorporated accountants who work with me for their investing because it's not what they do. Just like I use an accountant for my taxes. I don't do my exactly. own taxes. Yeah. I give it to an accountant that knows what they're doing. No, so but we need, to, we, we, need, we need to know, uh, you know, we're not going to be experts at either of yeah, them. Yeah. As physicians, we've got, we've got other things that, that, that occupy our brain power, mm-hmm. but we need to know enough basics about them that we can help to bridge that gap a little bit, at least know that, know that it exists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and it's, it's absolutely because sometimes I'll bring an idea to the table that someone would say, oh, I, I assume my accountants already thought of this. And I'll say they may or may not have asked them the question. I know the evidence is showing me they haven't. And it could be ob- obviously the complete same thing if someone's talking to their accountant thinking, oh, my advisor's already thought of, ta- you know, this side of things. But unless yeah, no, and, and, gen- and generally they want to be helpful, but they but they have a certain mm-hmm. way of doing things. And if you ask them and bring it up, then I've had it happen where you bring it up and they causes them to think. And then, and you know, you, you come up with a different plan that what you'd have done otherwise, because it's a different way of doing things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Like lots of rules of thumb in the different industries of tax and advice and or, uh, financial planning, investing, and even legal side of things. So certainly a lot of times someone will be working under a certain level of rule of thumbs assumptions. And then it's kind mm-hmm. of like, Oh, bring this to the table to kind of get them to think about, is there something here that's outside of the rule of thumb that you're used to or a different approach? Yeah. I mean, the one thing I've figured out having spent a lot of time looking at all this is when you start to talk about uh, some a high income professional is going to have a corporation, probably an RSP and a TFSA, the rule of thumbs don't work that well anymore mm-hmm. because there's, there's enough variables in there. Uh, mishmashing around that that it that it can be difficult but i I would say the other part of that is you know the the enemy of uh, good is perfect and you don't have to be perfect right if you take care of that you take care of the big pieces which is you know spend spend within your means save enough invest it in a tax efficient fee efficient way that's 90 percent of the battle and the other sort of you know, trying to tax optimize everything perfectly is 10%. And you don't want to sacrifice that 90% because you're obsessed about the 10%. And the worst possible thing you can do is nothing because mm-hmm. you're trying to have a perfect plan when if you can have a 90% perfect plan that's easy to implement and, and doesn't give you a headache, then go with that plan. Absolutely. That is phenomenal advice. And I couldn't agree more. Yeah, like that, trying to get that trying to get things perfect. Uh, a lot of people can get really stalled. And really, like you said, those main things are going to get you 90% of the way there. And focus on those main things. And there's some fine tuning that can get you a bit more. But yeah, it's something. Yeah, and the other thing to know with that, too, is that just because you go down that 90% good path doesn't mean you can pick you, you can pick up that other 10% later. Exactly, and you know the biggest thing that you have to be aware of when you're saving and investing is that time is your biggest biggest factor as as to your outcome, and that's you know part of why Warren Buffett has been so successful. You know, he's a great investor, but he's also been alive forever and had a very long time frame to have compounding returns with. Right, so if you can get invested early and efficiently for a long period of time, and then you know tweak it later on. That's much better than waiting and doing waiting and trying to do it later someday. Because you can't you don't get that time back. Yeah. Time is your best friend for sure. Yeah, I love that's a really good point about Warren Buffett. Like he's 
who's been doing this for like 70 years or something like that. So it's easy to, it's, it's easier to look like you're really amazing at what you do in the markets when you've had 70 years of performance behind you, as long as yeah. you've been doing something relevant. Although, although to perform well for 70 years is a pretty big feat too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Not too many of those out there. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Well, I love that. So, I mean, I think that's a really good point to start to wrap up on around that 90% and, uh, you know, perfect is the enemy of good in the sense that you can get a really great plan uh, and pick up that that those that final 10% as you go. So, yeah, I mean, thank you so much for being, uh, being here on the podcast. I really appreciate the insight you have into as a physician, of course, um, figuring all this out on your own, but then also being in conversation with other physicians that are going down the same path. My pleasure. I really appreciate it coming here. Yeah, absolutely. And so the best way for people to connect with you after the podcast is www.looneydoctor.ca. Um, anything else you want to add around that for people to know yeah, what to that, find that, when they go there? Yeah, that's my website. And right now it's still kind of a chronological, somewhat organized uh, pro of, of me learning things over the years. There's gaps there. I actually went to meant to go part time just before the pandemic hit and spend more time fixing it up. And then ICU obviously got very busy, but I'm now actually in the process of rebooting it. So I'm going to have a section that's for beginners just to go. If you want to start, start here and learn to get some basic financial education. Um, I've got a series that's going to be coming over the summer or that's going to be kind of in one location on the website. And then I'm going to spend some time reorganizing and filling in the blanks on the rest because there's a lot of material there from basic to really really advanced and uh, i don't want people to get lost because of the advanced stuff when really right. most people need the basic but it's also there if you want to learn more about it because very few other people actually write about some of the more complex issues around mm -hmm. uh incorporation and high high income professionals so there'll be mm -hmm. hopefully something there for everyone and i'm um, going to be in the process of reorganizing all that over the summer very cool awesome no that sounds great that whole range of basic to advanced definitely like as you said earlier the rules of thumb stop working very well in these complex situations once yeah. you throw a corporation into the mix a lot well, let's of say one things. of the things i did do one of the things i did do over the uh, pandemic when i was trapped in the hospital is i made calculators that you know, have automatic tax calculations in the background and simulate uh, d different performance incorporations and RSPs and TFSAs over time, and then try to make those tools make kind of asset location tax optimized type of portfolios and and basically retirement drawdown mm -hmm. plans, those kind of things. So a lot of that complex stuff, I've tried to make a little more automatic with some of those calculators where you can input your input your your income and how much you want to have to spend and your time frame and have it spit out some numbers to you. Very cool. No, oh, that's very helpful. That's that's awesome because yeah, as you mentioned, like it's um once you throw a corporation into the mix, things get very can get quite complex. So to have those tools is very helpful. Awesome. So everyone be sure to check out www.looneydoctorca to see what's there right now and then also just keep going to see as you update things. So awesome. Well thank you so much for being here. Great. Thanks a lot. Have a great day. You too. Thank you so much for having joined me on this episode of a Clean Bill of Wealth podcast. I truly appreciate you taking the time to do so. It really warms my heart to see the numbers of people listening to each episode go up, and it's just a lot of fun. Be sure to check back through past episodes to find insight on everything from more efficient charting practices to better sleep for physicians and much more. 
If you'd like to make sure you're leveraging your corporation effectively for taxes, retirement, legacy, and other financial matters important to physicians, please head on over to galenhelpsdocs.com to check out the work that we do with fee-based planning. Our fee-based plans are powerful, customized to you, and there is no requirement to buy products from us and no hidden commissions. You get clear, unbiased recommendations based on our expertise helping hundreds of incorporated Canadians just like you create their ideal financial life and future. Again, it's galenhelpstocks.com. Click on the book a call button at the top for a quick and free conversation to find out whether fee-based planning makes sense for you. Thanks so much for joining me. Take care and see you at the next episode.